Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning. We want to welcome each and every one of you this morning. We're so glad that you are here to worship God with us and to be challenged by God's word. As Cole mentioned earlier, the days of summer are fleeting. Today is the beginning of the last month of summer, August, and we know this well in the Miller household because August 1st is my oldest daughter's birthday, and so she's turning eight years old today. And so we know that when, when it's her birthday, it's like, all right, summer's starting to wrap up here. And so if there's anything else that we want to do this summer, it's time to make it a priority. Because the days are fleeting. We need to put it on our calendar and make sure that we do what we want to do, make it a priority. You see, in our lives, we're constantly making a priority list in our minds, whether it is conscious or unconscious. We are setting priorities for our life, for what we are going to do, what we are not going to do. And oftentimes, we are the ones who set that priority. We are the ones who think about where we want to spend our time. But sometimes there are outside voices that speak into our lives and give us new priorities. Now, does anyone here have a friend in their life who gets them to do crazy things? Now, I'm not talking about illegal things, but I'm talking about a friend that encourages you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do had that friend not said, hey, you can do this, you can do this, let's do it. Well, I have this friend, and his name is Darren. And Darren is my college friend. He lives in Colorado, and he's always trying to get me to do these outdoor adventure fun things. And so uh, when we go out and visit him, one of the things that we've added to our list of things that we do when we visit is I go up what's called the incline in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And it looks a little bit like this. So the incline is a mile straight up the side of a mountain, railroad tie steps that go straight up the mountain. Uh, And so it's a lot of fun. How many of you would enjoy doing this? A couple of us? All right. Uh, it is a, it, it's actually a blast, um, except for the, the, uh, in the altitude is crazy. I, I lose my breath about a fourth of the way up. It's just insane. But we, when I go out there and visit him, we try to make sure that we hit the incline. This is a picture of me and Darren and my friend Kevo. Uh, we always make sure that we start at the bottom of the hill in, in the dark, in the very early hours of the morning, so that, that way we can make it up to the top, which is where we are right there for sunrise. And it is worth the trek up for the sunrise that you get to experience at the top. But I'm also in another predicament with my friend Darren because he's challenged me to do something else, to make something else a priority. Recently, he talked me into signing up for a 30K race. Okay, so I'm a runner. I enjoy running. But he said, hey, let's do a 30K race. Well, actually, he said, let's do a 50K race. And I said, no, thank you. I enjoy my knees. I don't want to do that. But let's do, okay, I'll do a 30K race. Only this isn't a normal 30K race. Uh, This is a race that will happen in Moab, Utah this fall uh, in the desert. Uh, It is a trail run, which I've never done trail running before. I've always just run on the streets. And it's at a state park called the Dead Horse State Park. Now, you have to have a few loose screws in your head in order to sign up for a 30K trail race at a place that has the word dead in it. But I guess I fit the bill. I've signed up. I said, yeah, let's do this. 
Uh, let's make it happen. So I'm officially signed up for the race. Uh, Christy and I have bought our plane tickets. And actually, just this week, uh, I went out and bought myself some new trail running shoes. I have to get equipped in order to run this type of trail. And so my priorities for my fall are changing in how I spend my money and how I spend my time to prepare for my trail race. Now, why am I doing this trail race? I honestly don't have a good answer for you. I don't know why I'm doing it, okay? But what I do know is that I would for sure not be doing it had it not been for my friend to say, hey, let's do this. Hey, you can do this. Hey, let's make this a priority. It just would not have been on my radar. I would never say, oh, I'm going to fly to Moab, Utah to run a trail race on my own. No, it was an outside voice speaking into my life to challenge me to do something uh, with, with my time. And this is where we find ourselves this morning, not with a crazy college friend, but with a prophet, a prophet by the name of Haggai. And he carries a message from God about making something a priority that had been neglected with God's people. All summer long, we've been journeying through the minor prophets. And as you can see on the timeline behind me, or on our series bookmarks, that we are coming down the home stretch. There are only three left. Now, as a quick recap to the context, God's people were taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire in, eight, I'm sorry, in 586 B.C. And you can see this event represented with the lion and the break in the timeline. And you can also see that this exile came to an end. Now, how did it come to an end? Well, while the Hebrews were in exile, the Babylonians were conquered by the Assyrians. And with that regime change came the opportunity for the remnant of God's people to return back to Jerusalem. So after spending nearly 50 years in exile, many Jews returned to Jerusalem. Hooray! We are finally past the exile. And this is good news. But the bad news is that the city of Jerusalem was in ruins. And Solomon's temple, the way for God's people to worship God, was destroyed. So when God's people returned to Jerusalem, they started to build the foundation of the temple, a story that we find in Ezra chapter 3. However, the foundation that was built then sat for about 16 years, and the project came to a halt. Now, why did this project come to a halt? Well, people from outside their community, uh, specifically the Samaritans, put political pressure on them to stop building. So there was this external pressure to stop the project, but there were also things like idol worship going on that took their focus away from God. And so building the temple ended up on the back burner. So now enters Haggai onto the scene. And while we don't know much about Haggai, he was most likely an older man, at least in his 70s, as he had probably seen the original temple. So the prophet Haggai along with the political leader of Zerubbabel and the spiritual leader of Joshua, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, not that Joshua, another Joshua, uh, returned to Jerusalem and led God's people in the restoration efforts. During that time, God gave Haggai four prophecies over the course of three months. And we're going to take a look at the first two of those prophecies this morning. And if you have your Bible or if you have the Bible on a device and an app, I encourage you to find this small book. It's one page, a front and back. Uh, it, is, uh, it is right 
after Zephaniah and right before Zechariah. And if you do not have a paper copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one for free. So after the service or even right now, you could go to the worship center. We want to give God's word to people. We also have more access to God's word than ever before in history. We encourage you to download them on your devices to access God's word. So let's open together to Haggai, and we're going to pause along the way to reflect on how our lives intersect with God's messages through Haggai. Okay, so the first prophecy begins in chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Okay, so right off the bat, God brings to light the problem of Haggai's day in somewhat of a sarcastic way. The people have had the foundation of the temple sitting for 16 years and have been telling themselves, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The time had not yet come? Really? See, this is actually just a substitute for, I have better things to do than to help rebuild the temple. You see, their priorities were elsewhere. Although the temple was left unfinished, God's people were living comfortably. They didn't just have houses, but paneled houses. The detail of this story is to communicate that the houses were luxurious. Now, I'm sure it wouldn't be luxurious to us in our day, but in their day, it was luxury. Ha, God's people were living the good life back in Jerusalem. In addition to homes, they built businesses, and the city began to take shape once again. And herein lies the problem. God's people were more focused on their own houses than on rebuilding God's house. No priority was given to rebuilding the temple. They were busy, just not busy with the right things. And the danger for the Israelite people was not simply that they had abandoned the building of the temple, but that they had abandoned God. They had neglected him. They weren't prioritizing rebuilding the temple where God could dwell with them. Let's continue on in verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. God communicates through Haggai that his people are to consider their ways. Stop. Look around. Take a look. Do you notice anything missing? Do you notice anything, any misplaced, priori any misplaced priorities? As you are walking through the city, do you notice anything odd? How about the foundation of the temple just sitting there? Do you remember how I'm a God who wants to dwell with you, but there's no temple for me to live in? And God is curious. How was focusing on their own houses, but not his house, working out for them? How are they doing with no regular way or priority to worship him? God says that his people are lacking without him. 
They sow, but have such little crops. They eat, but it's never enough. Drink, but are never full. Even the wages they earn just vanish away. And he continues in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the, mount, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. See, God's chosen people had misplaced, misplaced priorities that had led to their lack. They were busy with their own houses while God's house was in ruins. And so there was this season of lack. The earth wasn't producing the food they needed because there was a drought that God himself had caused. Now, why would he do that? Let's take a step back and think. What do God's people need in order to flourish? Is it paneled houses? Is it abundant crops? No, It's God himself. They need him. They need his presence. Do you remember what the point of the temple was? It was so God could be with his people. That's why God wanted it to be built, to be with his people. And God said, build the house so that I may take pleasure in being with you. God says, I love being with you. So, of course, they're in a season of lack because God is not their priority. God does not want anything else to satisfy his people other than himself because, in fact, nothing else can fully satisfy. So Haggai tells the people, it's time to get your priorities straight. It's time to build the temple. Go, uh, go get the wood from the hills perhaps because all the wood from within the city was already used for their own houses, and start building God's house. It's not too late to start again. Let's get our priorities straight. Okay, let's pause for a moment. And as Haggai would say, let's consider our own ways. Is God a priority in our lives? Is God a priority in our lives? And not simply is he a priority, but is he the number one priority in our lives? Is participating in God's mission in the world a priority for us? Is the first thought of my day, I want to meet with God today and join him in his work? Do we wake up thinking that way? Are you more concerned with building your own paneled houses than building your relationship with God? And if God is not a priority in your life, how is that working out for you? How is being apathetic toward God working out for you? God might say to us today, I see you're pursuing comfort over my mission. How's that working out? I see you're living in luxury while ignoring me. How's that working out for you? 
Much like us, God's people had their priorities out of order. So Haggai tries to convince God's people to do something. He becomes the voice of the friend who challenges you to do something that you wouldn't have thought of on your own to get your priorities straight. We're not talking about something as, uh, as little as running a 30K race here, as unimportant as that. We're talking about something as important as people's relationship with God, rebuilding the temple. So what are God's people going to do? Are they going to change their priorities and give attention to God's house? Based on our experience in the minor prophets, what do you think? Will the people set their priorities straight or will they not? I'm going to do a raise of hands this morning. How many of you think that God's people are going to obey and they're going to rebuild the temple? All right. Raise your hand if you think God's people, they're not going to obey, much like the rest of the minor prophets. They're not going to do what Haggai says. All right. Let's read on this morning. So let's read to see verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Guess what? God's people listened to Haggai. They began to rebuild the temple. They obeyed. Can we give the Israelites a round of applause here? They meant, yes. They did it, right? Now, I don't know how I get to be the lucky one to preach on something that actually is encouraging from the minor prophets this morning, but I will take it. God's word through Haggai brought God's people to repentance, and they changed their mind about God. They started to fear God again, meaning they submitted to his authority, and they possessed an awe of him because of his power and his might. So they respond in obedience, Let's read on. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Wahoo! They actually did what Haggai told them to do. And maybe this shouldn't completely surprise us, because although they did neglect this work for a time, these people are the remnant that God has chosen to rebuild and to return. And God was going to play an active role in rebuilding his house. His presence would be with his people. And he would stir up the hearts of Zerubbabel and Joshua to lead the people in this effort. Okay, so this completes the first prophecy of Haggai. And let's have a collective sigh of relief. God's people actually obeyed. Now, the timing of these prophecies is important, and Haggai is very specific in his writing when these prophecies came. His second prophecy comes about seven weeks later and four weeks after the temple project restarts. Now, have you ever been a part of something that was exciting because it was new? Maybe it was a new house project or a new job or maybe even a new volunteer ministry position. There's often that honeymoon period with new things, isn't there? Everything is new and it's exciting, even if it's a lot of work. But eventually the house project drags on, 
And after your eighth trip to Home Depot, you've about had it. Um, and maybe you sign up for the new job, and a few months in, you're thinking, what did I get myself into here? Or maybe you sign up for a new ministry position, and it's exciting at first, but then the excitement kind of wears off, and now it kind of becomes just another thing you have to do. I remember back over a year ago when COVID shut just about everything down, schools, businesses, even our church. And there was this period of time where we were actually kind of excited. How are we going to stay connected together? And it was, it, there was this wonderful uh, application on computers and phones called Zoom. And so we thought, all right, we're going to stay together on Zoom. And there was, even though it was less than ideal, there was this little bit of excitement of like, yeah, we're going to stay together. We're going to communicate together. And so it was exciting for a little bit, for a week or two. And then as the weeks turned into months, we all know what happened. It was Zoom fatigue. It was no longer exciting. And I'm sure that there will be moments in my training for my 30K race where I will stop and think, what have I gotten myself into? Why did I sign up for this? This is hard. Why did I do this? So the Temple Rebuilding Project is roughly four weeks underway, and disappointment and discouragement arises in some of the remnant. The project is not going as some would hope, and some conflict boils to the surface. Here is Haggai's second prophecy, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you? who saw this house in its former glory. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Okay, let's build some context to the current challenges here. First, as we talked about, the honeymoon period is over with this project. The workers are probably getting tired, and I imagine the initial excitement has worn off. Second, the details of when this prophecy occurs tells us that it came on the 21st day of the seventh month which just so happens to be the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And with this celebration, there should be a lot of crops and a lot of abundance and a celebration of the conclusion of this season of harvest. But God had brought a drought on the land, and there was little to eat because of it. So here God's people were without a harvest to celebrate because they had not prioritized God. And thirdly, from this passage, we see that there is disappointment among some of the people. The elders of Israel are disappointed in the size of the new temple. They remember the first temple, the temple of Solomon, and they remember it to be much bigger. And in fact, they were right. The second temple is less impressive in size than the previous. <sighs> I guess everything doesn't stay rosy for long, does it? But isn't life just that way? People seeing things differently, differences of opinions, different generations seeing and experiencing life differently. Can't life be exhausting sometimes? Here God's people are. They're doing the right thing. They're making the right decisions. They're building the temple. But it's hard, and not everyone is thrilled with how it's going. Have you ever been convinced that you were doing the right thing but man, was it hard. Maybe God has put you into someone's life to care for physically, emotionally. But if you're honest, it can just be hard sometimes. 
Or maybe God has asked you to love an enemy of yours. You know it's the right thing to do, but everything within you wants to go the other way. Or maybe it's working to overcome an addiction or to pay off a debt or to truly forgive someone, and you keep thinking to yourself, I know this is the right thing to do, God, but this is hard. God, is there any way that you can make this easier? Nevertheless, Haggai encourages the people to work despite the less-than-ideal circumstances. So what is God going to do about this bump in the road? Maybe he'll just finish the temple for them. Or maybe he'll give the workers superhuman strength to finish the project. Or maybe he'll change the minds of the elders. Or maybe he'll make the temple bigger to make the elders happy. Let's continue in verse 4 to find out. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Did you notice what God was going to do to provide for his people, to give them the strength to finish this project? God says, work, for I am with you. That's it? I am with you? Okay, thanks, God, but there's a lot of work to be done. It's nice that you're going to be with me and all, but I'm pretty tired, and there are elders that are not even happy with what we're building. It's nice that you're with me, but what else could you do here? Just yesterday, I helped some friends move. Could you imagine what they would have done if I showed up and said, work, for I am with you? (laughs) Would they have felt joy in that moment? They said, oh, that's nice that you're with us, but could you grab the tote and take it to the U-Haul? I said, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, that doesn't make sense, right? God's solution to the hardness of their situation is simply, I'll be with you? I want us to sit in this for a moment. But wait, wouldn't it be better if God would actually do something, change the circumstances, lighten the load? And what about us? No doubt many of us, if not all of us, are in situations where we are thinking, it would be really nice if God would do something right now. It'd be really great if God would intervene. It'd be really great if God would heal. It would be really great if God would bring reconciliation in my family. It would be really great if, fill in the blank. Now, would you be disappointed if God's solution is not to change your circumstances, but to simply give you himself. Would that be enough for you? Would God's presence be enough for you to walk through whatever situation you are facing? What I want us to see this morning is that God's promise to his people in Haggai and his promise to us is himself. I wish I could tell you that God always promises the easy road, but he doesn't. I wish I could tell you that God always promises healing, but he doesn't. I wish I could tell you that if you do all the right things and follow God, that your children will trust in Jesus with their lives, or that someone you love who suffers from addiction will become clean, or the disease will go away. But he doesn't always promise those things. God's promise to his people is himself. 
And the question for us is this, is that enough for us? Is I will be with you enough? See, sometimes we get caught up in thinking, myself included, yeah, I know God is with me, but what else? What else do I get out of this deal of being a good Christian? I call this the God plus thinking, God plus comfort, God plus financial stability, God plus fill in the blank. For me last night, it was God plus a full night of sleep. God, could you just give me a full night of sleep here? But is just God enough? You see, it's in God's presence that we get to know who he is. We discover that he is actually good. We discover that he's transcendent above all things. We discover that he's self-sufficient. We discover in God's presence that he's sovereign, that he is holy, that he's infinite, and we discover that he loves us. You see, the more we're in God's presence and the more we know about God, the less we need to know about the other stuff. God, I can't make sense of this part of my life, but I know because I have been in your presence that you are good, and I know that you're holy, and I know that you love me, and your plans for me are good plans. Is just God enough for us this morning? Let's hop back in and see what God is going to do through the house that is being built for him. Picking back up in verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. For those elders of Israel who are disappointed with the plans for the new temple, this is quite the response from God. In addition to the promise of himself, God promises that his glory in the new temple will surpass the glory that was shown in Solomon's temple. God reassures the people that they are on the right track with building his house. He's going to use it in mighty ways. And it is through this temple that peace is going to be offered to his people and the, to the nations. He reminds them that he is the one who shakes heaven and earth. And he has provided everything that they need, the silver and the gold, and that he will eventually accomplish an even greater work by providing a greater temple. And Haggai's prophecy here did come true. Only it came true around 500 years later. When the temple was expanded, the physical temple was expanded by none other than Herod the Great in 20 BC. But God would later provide peace through another temple. Only this temple would not be a physical one, but a messianic one. And this is hinted at in verse 7 when it says, The treasures of all nations shall come in. And who is the treasure of all nations? You guessed it. This is the Sunday school answer when you're growing up. You raise your hand and you say, Jesus, about 75% of the chance of the time you're right. This is Jesus, right? Jesus is the greater temple. And God was going to use the rebuilding of his temple to point to something even greater, the peace that we can access through Jesus Christ. 
And I think some good questions for us to consider in this section of the story of Haggai are these questions. Do I really trust in God's plan? Do I really trust in his plan? Or how about this one? Am I like the elder who only sees what was and not what could be? Do I really believe that God has provided everything I need for the task before me? Or how about, do I have the patience to allow God to fulfill his promises in his timing, even if that's 500 years from now? And do I believe and trust that God has something incredible in store for us in eternity? You know, I've had this question circling in my mind this week. Let's imagine for a moment that Haggai himself walks through the doors of Riverwood this morning. I've been wondering if he came onto the stage, if he were to visit us, what would his message to us be? You see, we see Haggai's heart for the temple because God wants to dwell with his people. And I wonder if God just plopped him in, if he'd come in and say, well, this is a great temple you have. He said, no, 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 this isn't a temple. This is a, this is a church. Oh, where's your temple? Well, we don't have a, a physical temple anymore. Uh, there's this guy named Jesus. Long story, Haggai. You'll hear about it, you know, one day. But uh, there's this guy, Jesus. He actually became the embodiment of the temple. But then when Jesus left, uh, actually we see in the New Testament, uh, Haggai, you're in the Old Testament. That's a long story too. But New Testament, uh, we see that actually the church, that the Holy Spirit lives in us and our bodies are actually temples of the Holy Spirit. I think Haggai would be a little surprised to learn of this reality. Wait, God doesn't dwell in a physical place? God dwells where? God dwells in in me? God dwells in us? I think Haggai's message for us right now would be God's presence is enough. God's presence is enough for you. You always have access to God. God's presence is with you. Take advantage of that. Prioritize that. That's amazing. I think that would be Haggai's message for us this morning. God's presence is less than an inch away for us. God is always with us. So as God told the Israelites to consider your ways, let's do the same. We're going to put up some reflection questions as we kind of conclude our time this morning, as we think about the book of Haggai. What comfort in your life takes precedence over your obedience to God? We see what it was for God's people in the time of Haggai, but what about for us? What about for you? What paneled houses do you have in your life that takes precedence over obedience to God? Or how about this question? What is more of a priority to you than, in, than joining in God's work? God has work for us. God has work for you. What's more of a priority to you than in joining in whatever work God has for you? Thirdly, God's promise to us is his presence. Is God's presence alone simply enough? Is his presence enough for you and for me this morning? And lastly, 
What is keeping you from recognizing and embracing God's presence with you? What is keeping you from recognizing that on a daily basis, in every moment, recalling, remembering God's presence, God is with us? I'm going to go to prayer as we reflect on these things, asking God to speak in and through us and to encourage us. If you want to grow in your awareness of God's presence, I'm here to share with you that there is hope, that when you enter into that, there is peace and there is hope. God satisfies. God's presence satisfies. Let's go before him together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your eternal word that speaks to us. And we are so grateful for the presence of your Holy Spirit that you've sent to us. In many ways, the Holy Spirit is a mystery to us. It's a mystery how we become the temple, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And yet we understand and we seek after your presence in our lives. I pray that you would be doing a work in our hearts even now on this August 1st of 2021 that you would remind us that you are with us, remind us that you are good, that you are holy. And while we may not understand everything that you're doing or everything that's going on in the world, that we can understand and trust in you. Thank you for your being a God who is near And I pray that your nearness would meet us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.